Well, it's good to be back here, and I'm glad I can speak behind this podium because it's much smaller than the one up there that's obviously built for Pastor Reed. But I'm accustomed to this in our setting at Saucon Community Bible Fellowship Church in Hellertown. I speak in front of a podium like this every single week, so this kind of feels more like home. As some of you uh, may know, some of you who are on Facebook, you're probably aware that this past Monday and Tuesday, I had the privilege to be in Philadelphia. No, I was not attending any Phillies games, but a month ago I received a federal summons to fulfill my civic responsibility of jury duty as a privileged citizen of the United States of America. Now, as you can expect, like most people, I did not want to be selected. In fact, uh, we may think there's something wrong with someone who's like, yes, please pick me. I want to be a juror. Although there was a part of me that had an intriguing curiosity about the case. But once the judge informed us that it would take three to four weeks to present the evidence alone, I recognized then this would be a severe hardship, and by the grace of God, I was excused. But jury duty is one of those things that, as United States citizens, we resist serving that role. And in fact, we resist embracing our moment in the justice system. Now, as I thought about this in relationship to the mission that Jesus Christ has called us to serve in, aren't we often prone to feel and think the very same way towards Jesus' summons to mission as privileged citizens of his kingdom? It's easy for us to give lip service to Jesus' commission, but we may no longer see it as the ultimate agenda in our lives. The problem lies not with Jesus' mission. It is not obsolete. Rather, the problem is with our hearts and our perspective. And tonight we're going to look at Jesus' mission outlined for us in Acts 1.8. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus tells us that we are part of something unique, something powerful, and expansive, the mission of Jesus Christ. And so our theme tonight is Jesus commissions us to embrace our moment in his mission. Jesus commissions us to embrace our moment in his mission. Now, when I speak of moment, I mean our place in history as individual Christians and Christian communities. Now, I realize that I'm here tonight to not only share from God's Word, but to share about the ministry of Saucon Community Church. And I will do that. I'll fill in some details as we move along here through Acts 1-8. Let's first read Acts chapter 1, verses 1-8, through 8, just to give us the context, before we work through verse 8. Acts 1, beginning at verse 1. In my former book... Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. 
after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here in Acts 1.8, Jesus commands us, commissions us to embrace our moment in his mission. And to embrace our moment, we must do two things. We must embrace our role as witnesses. And secondly, embrace the movement of Jesus' mission. Embrace our role and embrace the movement. Now, before I move on here, I must say I'm not neglecting the beginning part of this verse. For sake of time, I've chosen to focus on the latter part. This does not reflect a theological bias on my part or a fear of the Holy Spirit. For we must remember it is only by the Spirit's power that we are able to participate in Jesus' mission. The Spirit enables us to embrace our role as witnesses. So let's look at our role as witnesses. Acts 1.8 Jesus says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witness. Many of us are familiar with that term. Perhaps we think of handing out tracts or someone standing on the street corner preaching the gospel. And certainly it includes that. But if we look at this term witness throughout Scripture, it's twofold. It entails declaring the gospel, proclamation, communication through speech, but it also includes demonstrating the power of the gospel through deeds. And this is evident in Jesus' own ministry. In declaring the gospel, our primary role is declaring the gospel. Matthew 4.23 gives us a description of Jesus' ministry. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, proclaiming, declaring the gospel. Jesus' primary focus was teaching and preaching the good news. And as a result of his death and resurrection, he passed this task on to the disciples. For we read in Luke 24, verses 46 through 48, in his post-resurrection appearance, he told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached 
in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. According to Jesus' teaching, his example, and the teaching of the New Testament, declaring the gospel is the primary task of disciples. But it's not the only task. Bearing witness also entails demonstrating the power of the gospel through compassionate service and loving deeds. That very same verse, Matthew 4.23, again it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and here's the compassionate service, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And these deeds, these miraculous deeds, bore witness to work the work of God the Father. John 5.36 says this, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So what am I getting at here? What I am saying Scripture is teaching us, that witness is not simply our speech or proclaiming the gospel. It also entails deeds done in the power of Jesus' name. And both are necessary. Very early in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, we see how declaring the gospel and demonstrating the power of the gospel through compassionate deeds work together. Acts chapter 3, if you would turn there. This is the account of Peter healing the crippled beggar. And it tells us in verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. This healing created a buzz, a buzz in Jerusalem. And Peter is quick to point out in the following verses, this is not the power of an individual man, but rather it's the power of the gospel working through him. Look with me at verse 12. When the crowd is running to him in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, 
Verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you had disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One, and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Right here in Acts chapter 3, we see both elements of witnessing coming together. Demonstrating the power of Christ through a miracle. And also declaring the gospel. And it is great application for us how demonstrating the power of the gospel through compassionate service can afford us the opportunity to preach the gospel to people. Now, we have to keep in mind, our service may not have the touch of the miraculous. But from this example, we must take away this point. If we want to bless our community with the message of Christ, we must serve in the likeness of Christ. If we want to bless our community with the message of Christ, we need to serve in the likeness of Christ. At Salkin Community Church, we've adopted this example as part of our own mission statement. It's part of our spiritual DNA. And you can read our mission statement on the screen. To be a Christian community, a church in the Saucon Valley that emulates Jesus Christ in word, deed, and lifestyle and draws people into an ever-deepening relationship with God. We desire that our mission at Saucon Community Church is Jesus-shaped. Jesus-shaped. Encompassing both aspects of witnessing. Declaration and demonstration. Now, how are we incorporating this? Where does the rubber meet the road? Well, in demonstrating the gospel, we occasionally provide opportunities for our people to invite others to hear the gospel, an attractional model. For example, this past spring, we held a sports breakfast for our community, inviting community leaders and etc. out to attend a sports breakfast where we featured a former major league coach from the Kansas City Royals and the chaplain from the New York Mets. I know it's the Mets, but it was the best we could do. However, the primary target for the leadership at Saucon Community Church is upon equipping our people to share the gospel in their spheres of influence. 
Now, why? Why are we doing that? One, we think it's biblical, according to Ephesians chapter 4, where the gifted people of the church are there to equip the saints. But also, another reason we are focusing our attention on equipping our people to share the gospel is due to a trend, a growth pattern that we have seen in our church. Our church primarily has grown because of personal connections. Not because we are advertising, not because of our our great website or Facebook, but primarily through people in our church who have connections in their spheres of influence, talking to people about the gospel, talking to them about what Jesus Christ is doing in and through Saucon Community Church. And that is drawing people in. And so one of the things we've done to try to capitalize on that, we actually did a poll one Sunday morning. I spoke on Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, a message on evangelism. We distributed a poll to the congregation to find out a few things. One, do they have contact with non-Christians? Secondly, are they intentionally seeking to have conversations about Jesus Christ with those people? Thirdly, what are the obstacles you encounter in sharing your faith? And as a result of those polls, the leadership has developed a training program that we hope to implement in September, where we will get those interested individuals together who requested training. There were 18 out of 42 who said, yes, we want help. We want training. And so what we will do, we will get those individuals together. We will have a series of sessions. Once each session will focus on just one particular topic of evangelism. It'll include some instruction. It'll include some discussion and interaction about how to implement this. And then we will release those people to go out and practice it. A few weeks later, we will come back. We'll debrief. We'll share our struggles and probably how we failed and how we can encourage one another. Why are we doing it that way? Because we feel that is the way Jesus did it with his disciples. Teaching, releasing, debriefing, releasing again, more teaching. And so we feel that by helping our people and equipping them to share their faith will be far more effective and profitable than simply throwing more information at them to disseminate. One of the other ideas that we had tried, and perhaps you heard about this, um, I tried to hold a doubt night at a local coffee shop where it would be a venue for skeptics to come to share their doubts and questions in a safe environment and where I would interact with them. Well, we take risks for the gospel and sometimes our great risks are failures. And that's what happened. No one showed up the first few nights I held it. So we're going to try a different approach that can accomplish the same concept. So what we're going to start in a month or two, we're going to begin filming short videos where myself and the other leaders will respond to a doubt or question in culture. Just a brief response, not an exhaustive answer, 
but just a three minute video that will give someone something to chew on. And we hope to set up an email form where we can interact and begin a conversation. I think one of the obstacles we encounter as Christians when we think about witnessing, because that term witness is filled with uh, so much evangelical jargon, we think that we must get through A through Z of the gospel in one setting. Now, just speaking from experience, I found it much more freeing just to simply have my goal to just begin talking about Jesus. And just saying, thank you, God, that I was at least able to start a conversation with someone. And if I sense they're ready for A through Z, I need to be prepared to share that. But I've also found it much more freeing recognizing that God is at work in this person's life. He is the author of salvation, and I need to be in tune with what He is doing and what His Spirit is doing in the lives of the people in which He has placed me around to witness to. So those are a few examples of what we're doing to help our people declare the Gospel. How are we helping our people demonstrate the power of the gospel through compassionate service. We have several activities. Uh, One, we have a team going to the local food bank on a monthly basis. We've also adopted a local roadway in a municipality, and they already have our sign up there. It's free advertising. You can't beat it. It's on a local roadway, and we have a team to clean that a few times a year. A few times a year, excuse me. Last but not least, we participate in the American Cancer Society Relay for Life event in Hellertown. It's the second biggest community event. It gives us great exposure, and as a result of participating in this, we've been asked to lead the worship service next year on Sunday morning. And so that's a big step for us. It's a 24-hour event. People camp out. And this, the last two years, they've held worship services on Sunday morning. As a result of our participation, we've been asked to lead that. So that's exciting. Have people been saved through that yet? No, but we, it takes time. If we commit to being a presence in our community committed to compassionate service, we need to realize it's going to take time. Regardless of whether we see results, we must be committed to it because Christ came as a servant. And we need to serve in His likeness for the glory of God regardless of whether we see results. And that can be hard because as a church plant, we want to grow. We want to see immediate results. And I keep impressing upon our people, this is for the glory of God. This is for our own growth because we will be changed in the process as we begin serving in the likeness of Christ and begin to see our community through His eyes.
declaring the gospel and demonstrating the power of the gospel through compassionate service fulfills our role as witnesses. Embracing our moment in Jesus' mission means embracing our role as witnesses and secondly, embracing the movement of his mission. Embracing the movement of his, his mission. Acts 1.8, again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Acts 1.8, Jesus outlines the movement of his mission, which outlines the structure of the entire book of Acts. You can track or trace the movement from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other parts of the earth. We learn from this statement that Jesus' movement is expansive. It's global in its scope. I liken this movement to a spiritual earthquake. The epicenter is in Jerusalem. And it extends out by the Spirit's power to Judea, to Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. This movement of the Spirit would ripple outward like a rock that hits a pond or lake, rippling outward, not creating destruction, but bringing life and power and healing through the preaching of the gospel. And Jesus promised us that this movement extends to the ends of the earth. Empowered not by human strength, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Producing centrifugal force. I know that's a big word. That's force pushing outward. Remember the ride at Hershey Park? I don't know if it's still there. The rotor, is it still there? Anyone? No. Remember that ride? It spins around and around. Sucks you to the wall. It pushes you outward. That's the force, the movement of the Holy Spirit, pushing the disciples outward into Jesus' mission. Now, this was a paradigm shift for the disciples. Why? The disciples were under the impression Jesus' mission operated on centripetal force, pushing inward. And they had a good reason to think so. Many verses in Isaiah indicate that the nations would come to Israel, to the light of Israel. Isaiah 63 says, nations will come to your light. Aren't we prone to sometimes falling under the same error? If we just open the doors... People will come to us. And the message of Jesus to the disciples, to the original twelve and us is, you don't understand, you need to go out. You need to go where the lost are. And there's good reason to believe that it took 
the martyrdom of Stephen and the ensuing persecution to push the Jewish Christians out from their protective shell into the Gentile culture. You know, that's still a struggle for us, even at Saucon Community Church. Sometimes people have the impression, you're a church plant, primarily new believers, and they have a zeal for, to reaching their non-Christian friends. Well, yes and no. We have a lot of individuals who come from various traditional church backgrounds. So in some sense, we are rebooting them for mission. Helping them to think differently about the nature and purpose of the church. Many of them were operating under the paradigm. Well, if we simply open the doors or hold this event, people will come to us. Because after all, we're the greatest church in town, right? I mean, we think that. You think that about Lebanon. This is a great church. Who wouldn't want to come in here? We're used to this. They're not. I couldn't help but think of Reagan's speech in June 12, 1987. That speech was at the Berlin Wall. And Reagan said to Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Apply that to us. What are some of the walls we have erected in our own lives that the Spirit is prompting us to tear down? What are some of the walls that we have erected because we want to protect ourselves from the lost out there because our fear of them? Only you can answer that question. Maybe it's over-involvement. Maybe it's lack of priorities. Maybe it's fear. But nevertheless, these walls hinder our participation in the expansive movement of Jesus' mission. Jesus' movement is global in its scope, but in Jesus' expansive movement is gradual in its growth. The disciples expected a sudden establishment of Jesus' movement. I don't know if you caught that in Acts chapter 1 in the verses that we read. Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God. And in verse 6, when he met with the disciples, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? There was an expectation of an immediate inauguration of the kingdom. And Jesus wants us to understand that this movement is gradual in its growth. Yes, it's dynamic, but it's gradual in its growth. First in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth. But here's the fascinating part. And this is the moment at which we need to understand our place in Jesus' mission. 
Do you know where we fit into this equation? We are included in the uttermost parts of the earth. We're part of that movement. We're part of that history. And we're not only recipients of God's transforming grace, we're also participants in the eternal mission. Not many companies can claim that their mission statement is enduring or they're going to be around for a long time, especially in this unpredictable economy. But the neat thing for us as Christians, we're part of a movement, a mission that is not obsolete. I've said to the people at Salkin Community Church, to help them to understand the significance of what we're doing, that they're a part of history in the Bible Fellowship Church. That they have the opportunity to become charter members of a church that has had a tumultuous history and only by the grace of God is still there. I told Tori and many other people based upon the experience at Hellertown, I've probably learned more what not to do as a church planner than what to do. And according to all the church planning manuals, our church plant should not be there. With the pastoral failures that have taken place, we should not be there. Again, a testimony to Jesus' superabounding grace and the Spirit's power. I am a dispensable agent in this mission. But the Spirit is the one who enables us to accomplish His work. And so this movement is not only a historical movement, it's also a fine missions template for every church. And so the question each of us has to ask, each church represented here, Lebanon, Saucon community, how are we reaching our Jerusalem? Hellertown, Lebanon. How are we reaching our Judea? Lehigh Valley, the Lebanon Valley. How are we reaching our Samaria, geographic portions of the United States, and the ends of the earth? Do we have a global vision, global and local? Jesus says we must. We must think locally. We must think globally. At Salkin Community Church, we've adopted Acts 1-8 as the missions template for our own ministry. One of our own values is multiplication. We aim to be a church planning church. Now, some of you may be thinking, are you crazy? You're not even established yet. How can you be thinking that way? 
well, I probably am crazy, but I think it's important that we put that vision in front of our people now to impress that upon them. We want to be a church-planting church. We want to be known by our sending capacity and not our seating capacity. Many times I've told our folks, if you're looking for us to be a mega church with a coffee shop, you're in the wrong place. We want to be sending people out. And it is very neat that under the sovereignty of God, we already have two missionaries from our church that we're supporting. The Shorbs, who have already been here on a Wednesday night, are missionary appointees prepared to go to France as church planners. They came on board with us from the Coopersburg Church to help the church plant. And we've committed to support them financially. Another woman, Sandy Mitchell, is serving in Cameroon with the Bible Fellowship Church in a support role. And we're just grateful that God is already honoring our commitment to be committed to his mission. Locally, in our region, in the Bible Fellowship Church, there's a grassroots movement taking place where I've begun communication with several other churches, Bible Fellowship churches, about the possibility of planning a regional church plant. As more of us talked, we sense the Spirit's doing something here. We all have the same idea of being committed to church planting. We don't know where this is headed, but we're following the Spirit step by step. And all of us are in agreement. We feel that in order for the Bible Fellowship Church denomination to grow, to be a dynamic part in the kingdom of God, there must be a church planning movement in the Bible Fellowship Church. And in order for us to see non-Christians come to Christ, we must be planning new churches that can reach them where they are. I wish I could say, and here's our strategic plan on how it's going to be done, but it's not there yet. But it's something to get excited about. Here's the point. We do not simply exist for ourselves. We exist for the sake of those who are not yet members of God's redeemed community. And in order for us to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the ends of the earth, we must face outward to the world. We at Saucon Community Church and Lebanon Bible Fellowship Church must look beyond ourselves and ask this question. How can we influence our community and world for the sake of Jesus Christ? And a follow-up question to that is, Spirit of the living God, open my eyes to what you're doing. 
I wanted to speak on another point tonight, but I know I just wouldn't have time. But that point would be this, looking at how the mission was accomplished in the book of Acts. It was accomplished two ways. Through a planned strategy, primarily through the Apostle Paul, planning his missionary journeys. But a more fascinating feature of how the church grew was through conflict, Acts chapter 6, daily distribution of food, through disruption, Acts chapter 7, martyrdom of Stephen, persecution in Acts chapter 8. So many times we plan for strategies, we plan to grow, but many times we grow when we least expect it. And all is attributed to the power of the Spirit working in and through the church. And that is why I always encourage the people at Saucon Community Church, and I encourage you tonight to simply, when you pray, to say, Spirit, open my eyes. Open our church's eyes to where you're working in our community. And help us join you with where you're working. That's a prayer Jesus uttered, saying, the Father is at work and I am at work too. We want to see where the Father is at work and join Him with where He is working. No matter how you and I participate in Jesus' mission, we need to know this. His movement will not fade or become obsolete. Recently, I read an article entitled, Five Products Designed to Fail Early. It gives us consumers great confidence, doesn't it? By the way, if you're dying to know what these products are, MP3 players, ink cartridges, software, textbooks, fast fashion, and the new iPhone. No, I'm just kidding. That was, that was six if you were counting, okay? The article said some of the failures are purposeful because product designers practice what is called planned obsolescence. Planned obsolescence occurs when something is intended to wear out or stop being useful after a predetermined period of time. And that time is often as short as a few years. Many of these items also lose their allure as well. The initial excitement fades with time. Maybe if you are a recent owner of a smartphone, you know what I'm talking about. The allure wears off. It becomes annoying and a nuisance after a while. Has Jesus' mission lost its allure? Has Jesus' mission lost its allure to us? Well, if so, know this. It's not due to planned obsolescence. Jesus' mission is not designed to fail, but destined to succeed by the Spirit's power. If Jesus' mission has lost its allure, maybe it's time we reconsider our privileged position in the movement of Jesus' mission. Let's not resist our role, 
but embrace it with the joy and enthusiasm that only Jesus provides through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your grace that saves us. And Lord, we recognize that as recipients of this privilege, we also have a great responsibility and a privilege as well to participate in your expansive mission. Lord, may we not neglect such a great opportunity, but embrace our moment in your mission, recognizing that we're not doing it in and of our own strength, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, who indwells within us. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, direct Saucon Community Church, direct Lebanon Bible Fellowship Church, to be dynamic participants here in the corners of your kingdom in Lebanon and in Hellertown. And pray, Lord, that you would grant us dynamic growth that brings glory and honor to your name. We pray through Christ Jesus, our Lord, our mediator and king. Amen.